From the creators of Relevant Magazine, this is The Relevant Podcast. August 4th, 2017, and it's The Relevant Podcast. I'm your host, Cameron Strang, and this week's show is brought to you by Squarespace. Whether you need a landing page, a beautiful gallery, professional blog, or an online store, it's all included with your Squarespace website. Creating a site with Squarespace is a simple, intuitive process. You can add and arrange your content and features with a click of a mouse. I was updating our Squarespace site last night. They're amazing, and they have new <clears throat> templates, too. Have you seen them? Yeah, beautiful. they're beautiful. I kind of want to use Jinx. them, but I, I haven't. I haven't. No, that's a that's thing. A, it's a big thing. Right, it's you've a got big a f- commitment. Yeah, right. You've got a fine car you're driving around, but then you see the new shiny thing, and you're yeah. like, maybe I could just... Though the cool thing is, you could just click on the new template, and, and 95% of it is already perfect. I've, wow. I've heavily modified ours. I don't know that... Heavily modified. Oh, yeah. you've got some deep... I got deep, some deep... Yeah, I don't know that it'd be compatible. Some in, some intense, but, but that's the beauty of Squarespace, right? Because you can go as custom as you want, or you can do what Eddie does you. and take that's the easy That's the next talking point in the promo. Wow, Jesse, well done. They even have seamless commerce tools and amazing customer support, and when you sign up for Squarespace for a year, they'll include a free custom domain with your order. Right now, Squarespace is offering Relevant Podcast listeners a special deal. You can start your free trial today at squarespace.com and enter offer code RELEVANT to get 10% off your first purchase. Go do it. And send us your websites that you built. I'm not going like, to retweet yeah, really? or anything. No, but I'm curious what people make. You always send these things out into the ether. I'd be curious what people did. Well, I, what yeah. I was doing last night, I was on our site and I was adding, I added uh, six new staff members and added four new jobs. Yeah. Look at that. So easy. It actually was easy. It, the right. hardest part was writing the job descriptions, like the <laughs> openings. Yeah. So if you're looking for work and you're really, really good at what you do and you're passionate about media in various forms. And let me just say, head over if, to someone, if someone DMs me and says, hey, where's the, where's the link to the, to, to that the job? Immediately disqualifies right. them. Right. If you can't <laughs> Google relevant media group and figure out where the job openings are yeah. and you have to DM Eddie, yeah. you are not smart enough to be on our staff. Yeah, and I just won't <laughs> reply, but just so you know, if you can't figure it out, Find something else. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. And and I'll say, let me say this too. There are numerous booby traps like that along the way of applying for us. Right. The right. number that, of- uh, if one small step is, you know, you, you miss, you mess up on disqualified and we're going to burn you to future employers too. We're going to contact people in the, in the industry. And so. the number of just deep, deep tracking codes that Cameron has embedded in the footer of this, like there's almost no way you're going to hide. So just be cool and find the, it on your the own. Other, the other, actually the other booby trap, Jesse, for real, is that to apply under our job listings, it says like fill out this form, right? right. So name information uh, and, and it says like copy and paste your, your resume mm-hmm. and then, you know, include a link to your portfolio. Yeah. And then we get emails going, hey, I can't attach my resume. Da, da, da. And I'm like, I don't want your fancy calligraphy version thing that you went down to Kinko's and <laughs> spent all evening on. I want the Literally. data. I want the information. I don't want some Garamond extra with your little headshot in it. Oh. If you can't copy and paste it, if, if you have to, I just have to see your font selection, you're not a fit for relevant media group. I, I want to get back to Squarespace in a moment, but I would like to say one more thing about resumes. There's been this kind of new trend of doing 
doing a like a an about me paragraph underneath like a picture where they're like, I'm married to whatever and we live in this place and yeah. we love hot chicken and my wife and my I'm like, who cares? You know what? I want I want the facts, ma'am. Just the facts. And then number two, if I'm interested in, in your qualifications, I'm gonna Facebook stalk you. I'm gonna figure all that stuff out anyway. You don't need to put I, it in your resume. I, I have been there in the office with Cameron just throwing away these beautiful hand bound like <laughs> le- like like spirals really beautiful on like papyrus box from cover. the holy land it's and just bit and just like one look bit in the garbage never see it again Literally, sorry a guy had pizzas delivered to our office and taped his resume on the underside of the pizza lid so when we open the pizza oh, there's his resume that's deleted. brilliant no deleted uh, immediately I, I, I refuse to even consider him oh I would never consider that D- Here's, here's the difference between me and you guys. It's a good thing I'm not in charge of HR over there because <laughs> I encourage grand gestures. Uh, particularly, it shows it shows gumption. It shows, uh, you know, a flair for spectacle. Here's my deal. All of things Smoke of which and mirrors, I encourage. I'm about substance, qualifi- qualified, you know, quality people, high integrity people who are passionate and they're in it for the right reasons. If you need all those smoke and mirrors, you are trying to like distract or inflate something that is not pertinent to you being good at your job. It should be your name and a single link. <laughs> I agree because nobody cares about literally. What that's why I strip it down to the form. It's like I want your salary requirements. I want to know your employment history, and I want to link to your portfolio so I can see the work that you're doing now. Right? Because if you agree hope- to disagree, I want I want someone who is willing to break into the office in the evening, find your office, Cameron, find a hiding spot in there, be willing to you know remain in the fetal position for hours until it comes up. Until at some point during the day, you either make a phone call, you have a meeting, and you're like. You know, by the way, I really need to fill this position. Remind you, this could be days before this comes up naturally in conversation. At that moment, the person springs out of his hiding spot and it said, and he goes, I've been right under your nose the whole time. And he extends his hand. He says, when do I start? Where's my desk? That's the kind of gesture that's, that gets you on my team. So two things. One, no, it doesn't because you think this is cute, but someone is actually right now. They're like, Oh man, I got to get down to Orlando. Jesse just gave me the code. I got I know how to work at Relevant. The second thing is, Jesse, I would like you under a different name to apply to Relevant and see if you would all get a call. With no irony, I want you to really, really try and just make your experience something like not lying but similar. So it obviously couldn't be irrelevant, but make it like in another magazine or something. And I want to see if you get a call. I say, I say, there's no way on earth you get a call. Like even if you're really trying no way no way any of us get well, well he wouldn't get he wouldn't get a call back from that just one because i ignore most of the first submission so he's gonna then his second round is gonna go with yeah. some flair and that's definitely gonna shut the door so yeah ijm was recently hiring for someone in my role elsewhere and i looked at the the job description and i was like oh i guess i got in under the wire because i would they wouldn't fired me now but i'm like great i'll just stay <laughs> back when i applied i didn't know that the fact that microsoft word is literally the only program i know how to use in the world was actually a bonus in my favor because I couldn't make a fancier <laughs> resume than what would then what have been just point twelve font times new Roman list it all out. That was all I had going for me. And it turns out that was more than enough. Flippy said, it looks like you're trying to write a resume. Would right. you like help? And then that's what you did. I will say the picture in the resume thing. Is, I, it really bugs me. It is absolutely like, are you telling me like immediately? <laughs> like it's very rare. I don't like all that many people. Right. And when you're, we're a small team. 
And right. so you're spending your life with these people. These are people right. you want to spend time with. Yeah. And so you're going to include your professional suit wearing, you know, whatever picture to look pro for your. I'm like, I don't want to hang out with that guy all day, every day. Or they're going to do the normal, like kind of like Tennessee plaid shirt with like the hair, yeah. like shaved up on the side. I'm like, yeah, I know. And I'm like, but I'm like, and now, I'm like, do you realize you're applying for a job? Are you looking so casual? Yeah. So like, there's no win here yeah. on including a photo. Well, well, right. What if, what if, what if the, you know, it's a job in real estate because I've, I'll be honest. I'm uncomfortable with real estate agents, including their picture everywhere. Who do they think they are? I know. Why is their job? Why is their job so important that I have to see their face for every type of transaction <laughs> on their little on their little websites? Every home listing, every business card. People, some people have their face on the yard sign. Yeah. Okay, yeah. I'm convinced the real estate industry, particularly residential, is 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 managed by nothing but narcissists who feel that their face has to be on. <laughs> everything <laughs> so square i think they're responsible we know what we know what they did to this country with the mortgage crisis though you know it started with their their self-assurance that they they are so good looking and confident they're just going to slap their faces on there and 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 uh, accept subprime mortgages from people who don't accept it thanks a lot people who put your pictures on res- resumes we've seen where that lo- road leads it really is a thing of like are they a narcissist because they're like look how great i look and i want you to see or is it like we'll be best friends or is it I don't I don't know what the motive behind the photo thing is I in a world of I know I can find you on Twitter and see your face like right. why do you need to include an insurance people do that on billboards I'm like yeah. there is almost there are very few services in the whole world where I need to have kind of a thought of what they look like before I'm able to engage yeah, well you know what I would do if I was in the if I was a real estate agent or if I sold insurance where it's like industry standard have your face I yeah. would go online and find the most dashing male model I could possibly find yeah like the, the most handsome yeah. like well-built fit you know, per, just striking eyes. Let's go back to let's go back to your picture. description for the most handsome model you can think of: handsome, well built, and fit. Is there a difference between well built and fit that you had to add both? Well, I'm not saying I'm not saying fit like as in like lean like Lance Armstrong. I'm talking. I need you know. If someone wants to do business with me, uh-huh. they need the perception that I have more of a like V-shaped a, a stone build, like a V shape. What color eyes does he have? Athletic build. Because I feel he, like he, Jesse has a whole person in his head right now. Yeah, yeah, I, I do have a whole person. What's his name? If I start, if I describe it any, any further, you got to trust me on this one. It's going to get creepy because I've actually done the research on this. <laughs> yeah, but <laughs> and I have a name and actually contact number. Uh, yeah, so yeah. do you know? Do you know what he does? Is he like a special ed teacher and he visits his he, grandma no, every he's, Saturday morning? He's a professional model, a fitness model, actually. But he's my key to to being a success in the real estate industry. And and I just would never acknowledge that I'm not him. Like when people show up to be like, okay, I'll see you at the listing. I'll be like, okay, I would just not acknowledge it. Be like, oh, that was a couple of years ago. I've kind of, you know, I'm yeah. taking, I'm taking a rest year from gym stuff, and yeah. you know, my tanning bed broke, so that that explains it. But anyway, let's get this. Uh, yeah. So three bathrooms, huh? Uh, okay, you got a half. All right, well, whatever. I, I the point is they land me the business. It's it's the bait on the end of the fishing hook. Once I set the the line, you know, yeah. I'm gonna. They're signing a contract right away. They're yeah. in. So yeah. I got a whole plan. You're good. Hey, we have a great show in store for you today. Uh, coming up later, we talked to author Jen Hatmaker, uh, author and speaker, I guess. Oh, my. Uh, she has a new book coming out on August 6th. It's called Of Mess and Moxie. She wrote a piece for the next issue of Relevant. Mm-hmm. It was phenomenal. 
He's a great, great writer. Yeah. yeah. I love yeah. her books. Also coming up later, uh, rapper Wordsplay joins us. He has a new mixtape coming out today with Andy Minio. It's Apostrophe called... in that words or is it just Wordsplay? Wordsplayed. Past uh, tense. I understand. One word. One word. I understand. Uh, One word. The oh, mixtape is called Magic and Bird. Uh, Andy is actually in the next issue of Relevant talking about Magic and Bird. And today yeah. we talked to Wordsplayed, the other half of that duo. So it is a cool, it's a cool mixtape. I don't know if you guys have heard it, but yeah, I always like Andy stuff. And then this yeah. is, this is super cool. Yeah. Can, can I tell you my real estate name? Because okay. I also use a fake name. Lance Brockman. Huh? Lance Brockman. It can't be Jesse Carey. No, 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 it, no, it's because no, that's too gender ambiguous. Yeah, that's yeah, not work. yeah, exactly. That could be anyone. I need someone who jumps right off there. the jumps yeah. off the page at you, it and then when they get the contract, it says Jesse, and I use this name in quotes as a middle name, and then Carrie. You know, that's how I, that's how I skirt it legally. Uh-huh. But uh, it's either Devin McHawk, McHawk, uh, McH- No, you don't. No, Mc, that's uh, difficult to say. Gentle with McHawk, <laughs> McHawk. It's very. It's a bird of prey, but the but the the MC in front of it uh, makes kinda, it, it makes it an inappropriate word. Like a Scot- So it has like a Scottish history. Exactly. Like or Scottish Sebastian Jenkins. <laughs> That, that sounds like a dog's name. Sebastian Jenkins is a great name. Jesse, <laughs> you're a friend, but these are terrible names. <laughs> Sebastian. These are names that you feel comfortable doing business with, is what they are. I would never do business with Sebastian <laughs> Jenkins. I would think he had a too much flair. I don't know. If you saw the picture that I chose of these male models that I've been rifling through, Sebastian you would want Jenkins. to do business with Sebastian Jenkins. Oh, I would. Nobody would, hi- would be swindled by this. Oh, no. I would hire it's not Seba- a swindle. I'm doing legitimate business. I'm just using a <laughs> fake persona to get the business. I would That's send all. money to like for a land deal to Sebastian Jenkins without knowing <laughs> anything about it. I would just send him $500 so that he could double it in a week. And, if and I would sign. And once we got comfortable, I would sign the email Seabass. <laughs> hey, now you got me. Was that I'm the back. whole joke? Yeah. Uh-huh. You, was it all set up for that? No, I just threw that in there. I mean, I'm 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 playing out the scenario in my head, and it just sounded it's sounding better and better to me. So. I don't believe you, but okay. I uh, you could you know we are going to be uh, at Lollapalooza this week. I guess this mm-hmm. this uh, podcast is coming out while we're at Lollapalooza. We're recording it before we left. Yeah. Um, you know, and I had to put in the press credential applications and stuff. And you have to go. You have to show your ID. This could be a chance for you to adopt a persona for the weekend. You could be a you know, a, a reporter for relevant Sebastian yeah. Jenkins. And, I think uh, I, I think if I did it, I need an ambiguous accent. Like it's a very hard to place <laughs> accent, but I feel like that would really seal the deal for the character. What would it like, take? It would add an extra element of intrigue that I'm looking for. What would it take for you to do an entire interview with a band as a character? It would take nothing. I would do that. <laughs> That's no problem at all. Like, He's doing it right now. That, yeah, no, no, I, I, okay. Here's I'm gonna record. Okay, here's the deal. We got. I'm gonna look through all the scheduled interviews this afternoon. I'm gonna find a low stakes. Yeah, one. say no find the least the important one. <laughs> yeah, exactly. yeah. What I mean by that is one that is borderline. Even we're gonna use, and then I will adopt the persona. No. And I, you know, I have no problem playing oh, the part of the interview. If I hung on out the on the podcast. peripheral to watch this, would that would would that throw you off? If I mean, what? If I like hung out ten feet away in the press area and and watched, would that no, like throw you no, off? No, not at all. Not okay, at all. Because I'm gonna be so to... deep in character that nothing can throw me. You're off a method actor. I'm gonna need about an hour of prep time to get in Sebastian's mind, though. Uh, you know. 
know, I got to build a backstory and things for for this to be authentic. You know, oh, what regional gonna, accent? What yeah. regional accent are you going with for Sebastian? That's what it's you gonna, don't want to do. I think he's Valley. I think he's California Valley, like the Californians on SNL. See, I was thinking vaguely <laughs> East, uh, Eastern European, something mysterious. Oh, oh okay. Man, like that. That, you're going really deep. So he yeah. ha- so he wears like he has bad you know Eastern European fashion sense and stuff. <laughs> yeah, I'll say this: he's exotic. Okay. Sebastian is an exotic gentleman. He's a gentleman of the world. Also, that- Sebastian never blinks. Right? <laughs> like they think everything is just fine with him, and then they're just like he never break eye breaks eye contact, and he never blinks. You gotta you gotta remember though, we're going to Chicago, Lollapalooza. Yeah. This isn't. Yeah. Yeah. Remember, like in years past. In fact, I got a Facebook memory last night. It said three years ago today. You posted this picture. It's the three of us: Tyler, Jesse, and I yeah. at Lollapalooza. Yeah, the, the band is reunited. We're going again this year. Um, uh, but but remember walking around looking at the fashion and stuff. It's kind of like this is Midwest. Very clearly, yeah. this is Chicago cool, Midwest cool. It's not actually cool. It's not yeah. like L.A. and New York and actually trendsetters. It's like nine months later when the trend hits the heartland. Um, I don't know that somebody like Sebastian would go to Chicago. I think, you, you know what I mean? You might be a little too out of place. Well, it's with kind of Chicago thing. comes to him, really. I mean, Sebastian yeah. has a shoestring goatee and uh, is a very fashion forward individual. How are you going to so, do that in between interviews at a shoestring goatee? Oh, I guess you can grow it pretty just fast. Start, yeah, start getting it going now. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I mean, I, again, I because I have to craft the backstory in order for this to be believable, even though no one will actually know his backstory. That's irrelevant. Yeah. I just need to get in his head. And it's yeah. a very disturbing place. He from feels the very man of mystery to me. Yeah, like inexplicably, he visits like the Wailing Wall every year, even though he has no real religious <laughs> affiliation with it. He just it's something he has to do. He likes the energy there, right? Yeah, yeah. He's a guy that has like a lot of crystals in his house. <laughs> oh, yeah, of course he does. <laughs> like a lot, a lot of cool crystals everywhere. I think he researched the wrong band. So whatever band you're interviewing, he keeps bringing up factoids. Wrong band. He, yeah, because he thought he was. He came specifically because his favorite, like neo Eastern European EDM, mm-hmm. you know, avant garde, some <laughs> underground band was playing. Right. So he traveled all the way to. to interview them is the interview of a lifetime for his music blog that he does and and it's the wrong band but all of the information that he has prepared for the interview is about this other artist that has a similar name but but it's too late and he's just going to ask the questions that he has prepared even though well because English isn't his first language so he's not really even getting that it's not them oh that's good oh that's that's good he doesn't even know English see this is a whole different turn because I thought he was going to interview a band and just have them like slightly messed up like he's interviewing the killers but he's really talking about like just another I don't know what band would be really murders like he's actually talking about killers that he researched yes but I was thinking like a band that's like like how are you all not in jail I right. mean, if you're all, all four of you are killers, <laughs> no, he's very right literal. There. He's very literal. He's, yeah, very, he's, literal. he's very literal. He interviews he every has, band. He has a tenuous grasp on the English language. Like yeah. literally, he's interviewing Arcade Fire, completely confused. Right. Yeah. And he's basically walking through their lyrics, trying to understand metaphors one line at a time. 
Dude, yeah. uh, you know, every year I get I get a photo pass because yeah. like I, that's how I kill my time. I go down to the photo pits, take pictures of the artists really close. And this year, Jesse, I don't know if you got the email or maybe I just did yesterday from the press office. Pretty much every main stage main artist is selecting their own photo pit this year. Smart. Before it was only like one artist. It'd be like uh, Radiohead would select their own photo pit and everybody yeah. else, you know, you could if you were credentialed, you could go down and shoot. Yeah. And I was reading this going, oh, man. Like it's all my favorite artists, like all, the big ones, yeah. you know, are all going to be super picky. Then last night I started getting all the approvals, so I got approved for Arcade Fire. Neat. I got oh, approved wow. for um, pretty much everybody I wanted to be approved for. I wonder, I was, I wonder what the uh, right. Ryan wonder, Adams for Jesse. He's on the side right. stage, but yeah, he's yeah. picking his own pit. I wonder how that. Uh, I wonder how that happened. What? Why the? I wonder why the approval process got ramped up. I think uh, a, a lot of music blogs, freelance journalists, stuff like that started getting credentialed, and, oh, and artists just want to control their media, and they only want like Rolling Stone and quality stuff. I understand to be shooting relevant and relevant yeah. now. Hey, um, so there you go. If you're going to be in Chicago, if you're listening, you're going to be in, in, and you hear this, and you're in Chicago, and you're at Lollapalooza, maybe. Say hi to us. Uh, you don't, yeah. you don't, can we be honest, though? I know there's a thing you th- thought you should say just then, but do you really want people to come say hi? They have every year. Yeah. But do think, you yeah, want them year. to come say they're hi? They're always yeah. nice, yeah. and they're, it's always a pleasant exchange. And, I, um, okay. and I'm glad. It's, it's really random that in the middle of Lollapalooza, people come up to you and be like, hey, yeah. I heard the podcast. Yeah. So well, okay. it's cool. It's cool. It's I just want to make sure. I just wanted to give you that out. That if you really just want well, to have a turn time on the small talk thing, I, I don't. <laughs> if you want to have just time with your bros, we can just say, "Hey guys, oh no, they, if if you're in the Chicago area, please, please do not pay attention to Cameron." I, I'll and say Jesse this. I'll Tyler. say this. You, you're welcome to come up to me unless you, I'm in character, and because that's going to throw me off. And trust <laughs> right. me, you'll, if no, you'll not, know if, if I I'm am. not blinking when I look at you, and I won't break eye contact. You know, you have not run into Jesse. You've run yeah, into. I'm, de- I'm too deep in it at that point. Sebastian, what? Sebastian. Jenkins. All you make is sea bass now. <laughs> That's after we become close and, and a business transaction is about to take place. Jesse and, and uh, Tyler are going to be running around working the whole time. They actually are back in the press area like yeah. nonstop, which leaves me to just wander the grounds by myself aimlessly. Mm-hmm. So if you're listening and you want to say hi, I, I got time to kill. I'd be, glad, I'd be glad to say hi. And if you're listening and you want to say hi to me and you're in the Orlando area? Nah. Let's not. Yeah. I mean, it's fine. <laughs> Isn't this all you want? I'm doing it right now. What else do you need? Right. If you want to, if you want to get into the press area and see what the, what the glamorous glitzy life of a, of a roving music journalist is like, I would suggest you kind of leave that one a mystery. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, 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 no. Okay. Describe this press area. It's been a couple years since you've been there, Tyler. They last year, actually the last two years, yeah. there has been massage tables and masseuses that are all, all free. Absolutely. FYI, that was not an no. authorized massage table. That was just a rogue entity. <laughs> no, oh, that, that was me. Up. I was there. I was just trying to get my masseuse business off the ground. It's a whole, it's a whole pampering tent, for real. Just yeah. my line. No, it's totally true. I will say this, though. I have like a, a very high discomfort level with public massages, either receiving or watching. So that, that does not you know, elevate the experience to me. But it is a good illustration of how nice they've made it. To, to be okay. a, a credentialed media of the press there. I've only ever had one and a half massages and I'm with you 100% on that one. I would never, yeah. I would never go do a public massage in the press area. It's like the people on the, as you're leaving Whole Foods that are getting the massage in the grocery store. I'm <laughs> yeah. like, what is your whole <laughs> life? That seems, like a health, that seems like a health code violation to me. Yeah, I'm just, I, their whole psychology breaks down to me and I'm like, that's a person I can't know. 
<laughs> like, just there's no way we could ever hang out. I mean, maybe they're cr- so riddled with chronic pain that they just can't make it to their car and they need help. You know, maybe right. it's a medical condition. Right. They were there buying like flaxseed, kombuching acai or whatever you get at Whole Foods, and then they just had to get a rub down. Yeah, because it was so painful. Yeah. If well, because they had to lift the heavy bag of flaxseed. If that's the case, then I, I'm okay with it. But, hey, but you, I, know, you know who has no issue with public massages or a lot of different public displays? Sebastian, Sebastian Jenkins. Sebastian wears the local garb wherever he goes. And <laughs> sometimes there's, a, there's a lines that are crossed. Yeah. <laughs> He, yeah, he, he's just not familiar with the he, lines, but he doesn't. He, does he doesn't mind public displays, uh, either receiving or giving. No, yeah, <laughs> he wears the local ancient garb. So sometimes it is just a so here would be like the Seminole Indians. Yeah, it is a small deerskin. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> he goes ancient. He's the type of dude that would have like a folding massage right. table in yes. the trunk of his vehicle and just set it up rogue. You know, right. he's that type of dude, though. Yeah. Yeah. And all he says, nah, I don't want to do this. It's just too, too weird. <laughs> well, you're you're going too to deep, man. You can't get in the head of this guy until like minutes before the interview or you go down a dark path. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, moving the show along, it's time for our weekly look back at what happened in culture and entertainment. It's time for In Case You Missed It. In Case You Missed It, uh, actor Matt Bomer showed off his old school Christian rap skills on The Tonight Show. Yeah. The actor is known for roles in, in uh, like the show's last ty- tycoon, uh, American Horror Story. Well, he was recently a guest on The Tonight Show and explained to Jimmy Fallon that he grew up in a very conservative home where secular music was forbidden. But his father was kind enough to take him to the local Christian bookstore to satisfy his burgeoning love of hip hop. Uh, he then decided to perform a few bars from JC and the boys. Uh, Questlove was very impressed. Here's a clip. Yeah. Uh, just so you know, in case you're a visual person, as you listen to audio mediums, JC stands for Jesus Christ. Mm. And uh, the boys has a Z on the end. Uh, yeah. Well, that was assumed. Yeah. And if you yeah. want to see this, you know, performance, it's on relevantmagazine.com. Uh, the best part is the cutaway to Questlove. And he's literally crying, laughing. Because of how awkward this is. I, I love Quest so much on that show. Like his, he is so easily impressed by things, and it just feels like he just can't believe he's hanging out with these people. Yet they are in probably the most sought after. Like they're always in the coolest place, but it's like they still can't believe it. I yeah. just love that guy. Hey, in case you missed it, the WWE has uh, announced a big trademark. <laughs> They've trademarked. 316. Finally. As you may remember, professional wrestler Stone Cold Steve Austin started using 3 colon 16 to taunt his wrestling opponent and born-again Christian Jake Roberts way back in 1996. Yeah. Uh, I know several of our listeners were born that year. Um, (laughs) Stone Cold turned Austin 316 into a thing after beating Roberts in the ring and uh, then began selling t-shirts with the slogan. WWE.com actually calls it the most popular garment of all time. Uh, so as of last week, World Wrestling Entertainment owns That's the phrase 316 as it applies to t-shirts and garments and plans to start selling a line of shirts that says city name 316. So... Wait, there's no way that's the most popular garment of all time. (laughs) You know the copywriter for the website was like, hey, is anyone going to dispute this? Is there any provable way to say that Austin 316 is not the most popular garment? I'm putting it on here. Jordan shirts. That's a a Sebastian Jenkins move right there. Simpsons shirts back in the day. There's no way. But one singular shirt? 
design, one shirt design other than Austin 316? I don't know, man. What about that Misfits? I see that band shirt back in the day everywhere. That's true. Yeah. It's got to be a, just like band shirts. Run DMC. I mean, back in biblical times, that robe thing. Yeah, those I have a hard time it? saying robe is the most popular garment of all time. Yeah. <laughs> this we're thing, saying all time here. That, the whole thing is silly. I don't know why I, I d- dive in on that. Yeah, the, uh, the fact that the fact that you can't make a Christian a Christian apparel company can't make a shirt that says three six three colon sixteen anymore. Um, that's interesting to me. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. Let let them come. Bring it on. I've been making a 316 shirt right now, and I'd like to see them try to stop me. And also, good. Right? It doesn't feel like what just stops all t-shirt companies from doing something they probably shouldn't do anyhow, which is make something awful. But, like, but Cameron, I think the point, the thing is, like, we, we've we known this for decades, that Christians, they pay no attention to copyright or trademarks when it comes to t-shirts. Oh, no. They will appropriate any symbol. Like, Jim, they will, like the even one. the most copyrighted emblems on the planet, like Coca-Cola, right. can be appropriated by a Christian t-shirt company, and they do not care about, you know, respecting copyright and trademarks you know because who's going to come after you if you kind of steal the kfc logo colonel sanders nobody no if way. you steal this 316 logo you got stone cold coming after you yeah. i'm sorry I, I i wouldn't mess with it no you're leveraging culture for the lord you do whatever you want to do <laughs> yeah, gonna, yeah. god's law <laughs> supersedes trademark law that's yeah. what i say when i p- put on my a breadcrumb and fish t-shirt <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Hey, in case you missed it, Russell Brand sat down with theologian Alistair McGrath this week for a fascinating conversation about faith. The actor, comedian, and author invited the Anglican priest and professor of science and religion uh, onto his podcast, Under the Skin. Uh, McGrath discussed his own journey from atheism to Christianity. And though Brand isn't conventionally religious, he is open to many different philosophies and ideas that even and even expressed his own concerns with atheism. He said, uh, for me, without some sense of a deeper truth, for me, there's only hedonism, only indulgence. He also seemed genuinely curious about Christianity and expressed admiration of writers like C.S. Lewis. Here's a clip. What is it in particular about Christianity that you found uh, not only, not oh God, appealing seems too light a term. What, what do you think there's some whole truth, some divinity in Christianity? Well, I wouldn't want to say Christianity has got everything absolutely right, but I want to say that it's got some insights that are really very, very exciting. I'm going to tell you one, one that actually yes. made a big difference to me. And, you know, I'm not doing down any other religion. I'm just saying here's something about Christianity that really struck me. Here, here's what I thought when I was an atheist. Mm. If there is a God, he's up there outside time, outside space. Yes. I'm in space and time. So that God has no relevance to me at all. He's in a different place. And then Christianity has this idea, the the idea of incarnation, that God enters into history, enters into time, enters into our world. And if that's right, and of course we have to discuss that, but if that's right, it's a game changer because it means that a God who was thought of as being way beyond anything actually came into this world and that actually makes him accessible. And to me, that's one of the ideas I found really exciting when I began to explore it. And actually, if it is right, it does change the way we think about God. There you go. Russell Brand. C.S. Lewis. Win in the world. Who would have thought they would ever be in the same clip together <laughs> well there Russell Brand's act he's a pretty I, I feel like you know he has a reputation for being a pretty pretty well versed in not just literature but also you know major philosophies and 
thoughts and religion but it was cool but alistair mcgrath is obviously like a very conventional mm-hmm. theologian and apologetics um expert so that it, it played out for a pretty interesting discussion because like i said i think russell brand is genuinely curious about kind of big ideas like that in case you missed it this week heim performed an indie pop cover version of shania twain's classic that don't impress me much um, the trio were recently guests on Australia's Triple J radio show, took part in a segment called Like a Version, where artists perform somewhat unexpected covers. They explained that growing up, they were big fans of the country star. Here is a clip. I never knew a guy who carried a mirror in his pocket and a comb up his sleeve just in case and all that extra whole gel in your hair out of locket because heaven forbid it should fall out of place. Okay, so you're Brad Pitt. That don't impress me much. So you got the looks, but it got the touch. Now don't get me wrong. Yeah, I think you're alright. That won't keep me warm in the middle of the night. That don't impress me much. You know what I have to say about that? That that don't impress me much. No, I was, <laughs> was going to say that impressed me much. Here's the only thing about that because uh, that uh, was one that the one woman did the like uh, oh so you're Brad Pitt or whatever. Mm-hmm. I I thought they would have gotten rid of that or changed it or just it that's a uh, that that's what but, always but that's what always ruined that song for, for me. Uh, like talking in a song, I think kind of ruins it. Oh, so you're Brad Pitt? Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I always thought like, well, this song's already kind of uh, tacky, but then this just makes it a cartoon. Well, what about Carmen songs where he would do all that talking? <laughs> a whole different thing. Yeah, okay. <laughs> a whole different. That's a whole. Because to me, that's that makes the song. He supersedes all of it. Yeah, because he, he it wasn't was, it weird that he was the narrator and the singer. Like you yes. would have thought they would have like at least like like in Thriller, like Vincent Price does the narration. But do you think Carmen is just too much of a control guy? Like he knows what he wants so much that he's like, no, I'm going to jump back and forth from the protagonist to the narrator. without any without telling anyone, it's just going to happen. Because there's a time when like when Eddie Murphy does all of the characters, it's like, yeah, good point. You are Eddie Murphy. You are the funniest. There's nobody. They're going to do it better than you. It's you switching between Sebastian and Jesse. I mean, it's, it's in yeah. his mind, it's two different roles. He can do them both. Why not? <laughs> That's yeah, true. I, do. I mean, he's operating at a different level than someone like, let's say, Michael Jackson, who needed to hire <laughs> Vincent Price. I think you're <laughs> right. No, that's right. Right. <laughs> hey, in case you missed it, Matthew McConaughey explained why he named his son after his favorite Bible verse. He was uh, on Good Morning America, and he opened up about how he decided on his name for his oldest son, Levi. He said, Levi is another name for Matthew in the Bible. Uh, we had talked about the possibility of Matthew Jr. if he was a boy. And my favorite verse in the Bible is Matthew 6, 22. Uh, he even had it engraved on his wedding band. So in, in Matthew 6, 22, part of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, it says that, quote, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. So they didn't know the sex of their baby until he was born. So they hadn't landed a name for Levi until they met him. And as it happens, Levi was born at 6.22 p.m., so the name made sense. 
Do, do you think that? Do you think that that he was really born because no. you know it's Matthew oh, six twenty two? No. Do you think no. the baby was born at six twenty two exactly, I, and, or they're like and he was like six twenty five, and he's like, hey, listen, we kind of want that. We we kind of wanted to go Levi here, and we got this whole backstory, and we're close enough. What do you think? <laughs> you bump, what do you think on the paperwork? Bump it back three minutes. Is, but you also, know, is that you know, is that a legal thing, or can we do it? You know, the amount of peyote and horse tranquilizers in Matthew McConaughey's system, though, I would be surprised if the wife exists, if the kid exists, if. <laughs> If the the wedding ring, if any of it exists, like there, this guy is awesome, but he is also I, I don't I don't believe any of it. I don't think he's a liar. I think to him it's very very real. <laughs> I don't think he's a liar when he's talking about the birth of his son and his faith. But I I don't yeah we, I won't bring the faith element into it. But I will say there is a he is a mystery. He is quite a mystery. I think guy. he's gotten good at like crafting the reality that makes him happiest and i think that there's like i think that i've learned a lot from him and like that's the same way that i try to name everything in my life now is just find a bible verse whatever time it is and then name it after that and so far it's worked out pretty well for me right even if that doesn't match up with scripture and verse you're like well you know what who will Close know? enough. Yeah, with it, yeah, I give, I, give, I give myself a fifteen minute window to find a good verse in there. <laughs> find a good yeah. verse in there. All <laughs> right, that'll do it for in case you missed it. Stay tuned. Up next, slices. to airy i think it's a r y all caps the song is childhood dreams at the beginning of the podcast you heard electric guest with oh devil okay it's time for slices what do you have jesse all right so i you know i know we had talked about earlier that we have a lot of job openings on the website but maybe some people are looking for something uh you know uh, let me say this too relevant to exciting place to work but maybe you're looking for something even more exotic and that can pressure friends even more yeah, that's it's a not tough exotic thing. here it's not exotic at all well i mean i'm trying to implement some changes to uh, uh, you know sebastian maybe joining some staff meetings to <laughs> heighten the exotic level but um uh this job uh recently was posted i don't know if they're using ZipRecruiter or not it would make sense that they would by nasa there's only one position uh, the title is planetary protection officer yeah, yeah. Planetary Protection Officer. So the whole job is ensuring that uh, humans, when they go out into space, don't contaminate other moons or worlds and that alien matter doesn't make it back to Earth that can infect humanity. Uh, So essentially, you you are the guardian of of the planet from aliens as a uh, uh, alien as a planetary protection officer evidently <laughs> the, the more you read about the story the more freaky it kind of gets because uh, back in 1967 the US signed an international treaty called the Outer Space Treaty of 1967 and promised to pursue studies of outer space uh, and, and conduct uh, exploration of them mm-hmm. so as to avoid their harmful contamination and also adverse changes in the environment of Earth Earth, resulting in the introduction of extraterrestrial matter. So your full-time job, which they even listed the salary, you get like 190 grand a year for being the planetary protection officer. That seems really low for the for the the, the the you know the magnitude of this job. You're protecting the planet as a protection officer. Uh, you know that that's your entire job is to protect it from alien species. 
even if you have no experience, I encourage everyone to apply for this job <laughs> because that is the ultimate one-up job in any situation. Right. If you're the planetary <laughs> protection, like, oh, oh, cool, you're a bank teller. We all got to do something. Planetary protection officer, NASA. There's only one of me, and I'm, it's it's the only thing standing between planet Earth and an alien takeover is this one person. This is the job of a lifetime for somebody. I want somebody in this role that is just older and grizzled and really, really not afraid of anything. Like a uh, like a, what's the guy from Men in Black? Not Will Smith, the other like guy, a Tommy Lee Jones. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Who's yeah, no nonsense? Yeah, I don't want anybody playing around. I don't want anybody trying to make contact or make a friend. I want somebody <laughs> that's just going to fly around in a little spaceship and shoot first, <laughs> ask question later. You know what I mean? I don't want any aliens in our sphere. And I think Tommy Lee Jones is. My I think we should just get Tommy Lee Jones because we know, like, if something landed on Earth, he'd he'd, he'd gather everybody and be like, "I want a ten mile perimeter. I wanted you to check every hen yeah, house, you know, doghouse. Yeah. Yep, right. Just like the fugitive." Like every single movie role he's done has prepared him for this job. Right. I didn't do it. I don't care. Right. Yeah. Shoot. Yeah. yeah. Shoot to the yeah. alien. Yeah. Because That's- if you get the wrong person, I kind of feel like they're only filling this position to like, like I, I he, the way that I think this came about, because to my knowledge, I don't know how many like alien moons were going with like viruses intact to our space gear. Like it seems like the day to day, you're not super busy here. You know, like we go on like space trips. I don't know. Like when's the last time we went to a, we put something on Mars like two years ago. I, like I said, I can't imagine the day to day is all that stressful. I feel like someone at NASA was like going through a file cabinet and was like, guys, did you realize like back in 1967, we signed this treaty and the job we never filled. We got to get on this. Or we're going to be in trouble with whoever enforces these things. So they, they just listed the position and I feel like the person's going to get there and it's pretty much just going to have a cool job title and not a whole lot of responsibilities. Like yeah. what could it possibly entail? You know, well, but you don't also you don't want a Jeff Goldblum type, right? Who who Jeff Goldblum, <laughs> Jurassic Park, who's just into thinking about the process of it all and what it all means. You know, you really want someone who's just going to sit and wait on a horse and just take care of it. You know <laughs> See, what I mean? I, I feel like the guy's going to shoot. They're going to they're going to hire whoever this person is, and they're going to mm-hmm. show up for their first day. And they're like, "Listen, we don't really have any trips planned at the moment. <laughs> this was kind yeah. of like a treaty obligation thing." Yeah. So, uh, you know, why don't, uh, you know, I, I think the vending machines, yeah. you know, we could do an inventory there. It's just they're get, they're going to find stuff for this person to do. But I don't know how much planetary protection goes into it, which makes the job even more intriguing. And the make. person's going to ask, like, OK, so how do I look into outer space? How do I look around? And they're like, uh, we don't. OK, well, second question. How do I like shoot into outer space? We I mean, like it's in development. Those so, are like lasers. Or, I mean, wh- how do I stop yeah. the aliens? Like, how is this even? You guys got anything for me, or am I just kind of figuring it out on the fly here? You know? like, yeah, you know what? I'm going to go down to the sandwich cart. <laughs> <laughs> All right, what do you have, Tyler? Sandwich. <laughs> okay, well, my side, I'm going to start mine off with a question. When you guys go to see, either go to see a movie in the theater or, or you rent one, how much does the Rotten Tomato score factor into whether or not you're going to watch quite a movie? A bit. Quite a bit. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, either way i go to movies so rarely now that i want to make sure that i got a home run on my hands oh my gosh so i got i gotta have a critical consensus have you seen dunkirk not yet but i that's next it's i i don't know that i've ever seen a movie like this because i don't love war movies like i like war movies but i don't like i don't don't like like them it's like the constant action just gets to me i think this was it's hard because I saw it last night. I don't know that i've ever seen a more beautiful movie really it's like multiple stories all happening what about les mis 
That was a whole different kind of beautiful. Well, you said no, more beautiful. <laughs> Dunkirk was subjective. a masterpiece. Really? I can't wait for you to see it. It was see, a, a lot of the Rotten Tomatoes uh, reviews said that word. It was a masterpiece. And the sound design on it, cr- typical Christopher Nolan. Mm-hmm. Like it, like I've never been so affected by what I hear in a movie. Wow, it's yeah, like it's super the, loud and like piercing, super loud, and then yeah. and then silent at very yeah, pointed yeah. pointed moments. I couldn't believe it. I don't think this is what Tyler Slice is about, though. Sorry, Tyler. <laughs> well, you're just adding to the Rotten Tomatoes consensus of yes. Dunkirk. I either want ninety above or twenty or below. Oh, like left behind. Yeah, yeah. So I, 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 I want the other end of the poll. Like, I want to see like the emoji movie because it's like one percent. I want to see just straight up disasters as well as masterpieces. All right, that's a good that's a good segue because Thanks, both man. of those movies are part of are part of this slice. Thanks, guys, for for knocking that out. Um, but what? But uh, apparently, this summer, um, for the first time, there is an even split between movies that underperformed and movies that overperformed at the uh-huh. box office and their respective Rotten Tomato scores. So, a movie that gets a good Rotten Tomato score was, in one hundred percent of the cases, did better than expected financially. Movies that under that got bad reviews on Rotten Tomatoes did uh, did some significantly worse than expected. And so, this is leading studios now to start releasing their movies for critical screenings closer and closer to the actual release date of the film to try to negate some of that up. So studio thinks it has a bad movie on its hands, like the emoji movie. Uh, remember that Will Ferrell uh, movie, the house that came out for like two minutes and nobody went yeah. and saw it. It got a bad score uh, and nobody went and saw it. So studios are trying to figure out how to make their movies more critic proof in every possible way, except for actually making better movies, which doesn't seem to have occurred to anybody. Well, how, yet, how would they to make, what I'm reading. how could they make movies that are criti- uh, critically uh, popular and, and they're not better? I mean, in the same thing. Well, that would be, that's the problem. See, cause they want to, they don't seem to be putting a lot of effort into making better movies, but they are finding ways to keep critics from seeing their movies oh. before it actually comes out. Yeah. For so example, did, they didn't even release the mummy at all. The Tom Cruise movie that nobody saw, uh, that one was not released for critics. So p- critics who wanted to review it had to go see it like, uh, the day that it came out, like everybody else did. And that yes. one only got 17% and obviously it underperformed at the box office. So I guess what I'm wondering, uh, is this going to, if studios start making it harder for critics to see their movies, is that going to affect Rotten Tomatoes or how we think about Rotten Tomatoes? I think it starts killing opening weekend because people will wait for the the reviews, you know? Yeah, yeah, that's what I wonder too. That's what I would do. It's just it pushes everything back. It's it's shooting yourself in the foot. I mean, it's two two indicators if a movie is going to be a bomb. Number one, if there's just complete saturated like oversaturated promotion where right. like emoji movie we just knew uh, oh the premise is not good if will ferrell is showing up on like andy cohen's little show at yeah. eleven thirty on bravo and he's doing the halftime show on the nba on tnt yeah. and he's all these obscure things it's gonna be a bomb right and yeah. then if it or or not Whereas necessarily bomb, it's terrible. Was barely promoted right harry styles barely talked about the movie and he's prominent in it Oh, really? I didn't even know that. Yeah, he's like one of the main characters in it. And the, and the movie is making a lot of money because right. it had a high Rotten Tomatoes score, is the theory. Right. So the last the last test is going to be this weekend because the Matthew McConaughey, Idris Elba movie, Dark Tower, comes out. And so far, it has not been released for a critical screening. There is mm. an embargo until Friday morning on all oh, critical no. reviews. Just oh, not man. a good sign. Oh, no, because I love Idris Elba. He's like my favorite. I love Idris Elba. I love those books, but uh, I'm not. I'm not super... The movie, there's a lot of red flags for the movie. But isn't this like, honestly, I kind of love the Rotten Tomatoes thing because I feel like this is finally, honestly, crowdsourcing 
like if a movie is good like you used to have no real way of knowing if a movie was good like you'd have your local newspaper reviewer and maybe you trusted him or her or maybe you didn't but this is like pretty accurately like we Bree and i watched we rented a movie the other day just on a whim and we were like oh let's see this there's some funny people in it it was called uh table 19 it was about some wedding and it was like yeah it's a, Dupla- by the- it's a duplass brothers movie yeah, right? I yeah. See it. yeah it was absolute trash and then i was like what was this to rotten tomatoes and it was super low it also goes to show like at what point does like something like netflix incorporate rotten tomatoes score into the browsing experience or does that limit their inventory so much yeah, of that, just like garbage yeah, movies that no one wants to well, see they just went they just removed the ratings they used to have the netflix user ratings on the five star curve and yeah. it was it was they have so many bad B D D list movies that the ratings were so low. They removed them to, to just a recommendation or not. That's not, why I love the Apple movie viewer. Cause it says the rotten tomato score right yeah. there in front. Yeah. yeah. Well, well, but I think the thing with I, my issue with the rot with the Netflix ratings was they were worthless. Like yeah. <laughs> it was like, man, fellow Netflix viewers have terrible taste because good movies have like, you know, two and a half yeah. and terrible stuff has like five or it's just, it was just, unusable like it wasn't the five star thing based on Netflix user ratings just I felt like was wasn't usable but here's the other thing is like with Netflix doing I, I read that they were like 20 billion dollars in debt like some astronomical number because they're investing so much in original content but it's it's if if they incorporated like Rotten Tomatoes or real critics ratings for the original content i feel like the cream would rise to the top and a bunch of the and a lot of like the cheap terrible movies that fill most of their inventory it's fine if they're if they're uh rated lower because their original content is all pretty good and i'm pretty sure would mostly have pretty good critical ratings so it might give more exposure to that because there's a lot of there's a lot of those netflix originals or or even um on like hulu or the other streaming platforms that invest all this money and talent in cool original programming but is underseen because even if it's critically praised no one really cares because it's buried with all the junk but but you gotta remember like netflix is playing the quantum Entity game, yeah, you know, and they they're trying to have like whatever you're in the mood for, we have it, and so they have to fill their roster with a lot of licensing deals for stuff that wouldn't be well rated. And if if their percep- if the perception became that only two percent of their content was decent and everything else was trash, people would l- lose interest in the platform. I, th- I think I think they're withholding the critical evaluation because the volume of their quality content isn't that great, you know, honestly. Yeah, it's what I guess it's one of those things you find out the easy way or the hard way. Like, you either look at the Rotten Tomato review and you're like, oh, this movie is terrible, I'm not going to watch it. Or you watch it and you're like, well, that was awful. You know, like, I, I don't, I just wonder how sustainable that model is with quantity, you know? Like, what if they move to, like, the HBO model where everything is good, you know? I, uh, I, speaking of Netflix, I'm not as, I haven't yet, cut cords yet i watch dark tv i watch my yeah. dvr most times so i don't get on netflix all that often but yeah. the, the this is the dog days of the summer seasons mm-hmm. and a lot of the stuff that normally i would watch on the evenings aren't, yes. aren't on anymore no, so, so i've been watching the netflix no snl nothing. yeah and so I, yeah. I i i've been burning through i mentioned this a few weeks ago i've been burning through all nine seasons of the office right mm-hmm. yeah and yeah. i had i yeah whenever i'd like sample through netflix i'd put on season one two or three of the office pretty regularly you know it's the classics I decided to push all the way through, even to what I saw only the first time when it aired on TV, yeah. season seven, eight, nine. When, when they have just, the baby, it's just awful, the, well, right? I mentioned oh, yeah. this on the show, Thanks, Scott. 
and uh, yeah, the post Michael Scott era, even prior to that. I mean, I think post wedding is yeah. is is it took a dive. It took yeah. A dive. Yeah, they, yeah, they got all Sam and Diane. And uh, well, it's when it's it's the cousin Oliver era when Brady Bunch start when the show has to add a young neighbor or nephew yeah. or something to jazz yeah. things up. Well, that's what happened. They brought in Clark and and Plop and all these other new characters. So it's terrible. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. Uh, is there last night I finally wrapped up the end of the series again and this is the first time I had seen it since it aired originally is there a more satisfying season or series finale than the final episode of The Office maybe only Friday Night Lights Okay, that's the only okay. other one that I felt. The I was same wondering because I'm watching it with tears in my eyes. Just all the feelings, so happy, so like every storyline is fulfilling. It's good. It's yeah. touching. It's funny still. Yeah. Yeah. But they did everything. They hit every note dead on. And I'm sitting there thinking, I cannot think of a better series wrap up than this. And yeah. okay, Friday Night Lights. I, and, I'm there. And to the office's credit, a um, the Michael Scott exit too. That when he left the show, yeah. I thought there's no better exit of a character, yeah. and very few. They didn't build up to it. They just boom. No, yeah, when, but even the way he proposed when he the, whispered, that's what she said to Pam as he's walking <laughs> into the airport. I yeah. thought, perfect. Yeah. What a perfect final. Okay, but here's my main thing with the office family, because I've been actually rewatching a lot of the office too. I I'm, I'm kind of refusing to go at that deep Cameron. Like I'm jumping off when like well, Robert oh, California, let, let me tell you may, two, two things about those where you're jo- jumping off. It actually isn't as bad as you remember. Like, honestly, for what it is, if you don't compare it to seasons two, three, four, just if it was a show for what it is, it's not as bad as I remembered it being. Honestly, it's not uh, Robert California, I think, is among the worst part. So if you've seen that part, it, it doesn't get worse from there. So, well, but I get I, here's my thing about the and I'm not opposed to it. I probably will because I've watched all the other ones. But um, my th- my only thing about the finale and I think I've only seen it twice. And I haven't seen it recently. The only ding it has, because I do think it's one of the all time great television finales, because finales are harder than pilots. Like, in my opinion, yeah. Yeah. it's yeah. easier to botch. Yeah. It's easier to botch a finale than, than anything else. Well, I mean, Seinfeld, the, all, the greatest sitcom of all time is famous about how bad their finale was. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I just I just finished, you know, it's a drama, but I just finished Bloodline and the last two episodes were awful. It like ruined the series. But all that to say is like the my only ding with the office finale is the Andy subplot. They took him out of the office for like almost the whole show for this like dumb kind of American Idol uh, side plot that I just feel like, dude, just keep them all together for the last episode because I felt like that was the worst part of that episode. Am I wrong? It, like, because it's been a while since I've seen it. Well, that that thing happened uh, the two episodes leading up to the end. The end, if you recall, was a mm-hmm. year later. Mm-hmm. The, the, the oh, documentary yeah, yeah, series yeah. had yeah. aired yeah, and right, they were right. all reconvening to do a uh, where are they now thing yeah. for the documentary series and then also uh, the wedding that was happening. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah, uh, yeah, and so right. the Andy plot on the finale actually resolves well. They have, okay, so I feel in hindsight they had to have his character leave because he, what you find out on the finale, he got his dream job through difficult circumstances, but he ended up where he should have been, where he yeah, could finally thrive because yeah, yeah. he was a terrible paper salesman. Like, why would he still be there a year later? Yeah. It just didn't make logical sense. So I, I'm okay with them like booting him or thrusting him out of the office. And then you find out on the finale that he landed on his feet. Yeah. 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 Uh, I'm watching 30 Rock. That's my summer oh. TV shows. And I, I did not oh, love good. it. I did not love it the first time I saw it on air. Oh, it was just, it's one of my favorite shows. It's just, I don't I know. The it. humor never clicked in with me, but really? this time it has blown oh, me away. Okay. I don't know. I have I very rarely like laugh out loud, but I weep almost every episode. It's something. Wait, crying? You're sad? 
Well, yeah, but that's because of like chronic low, de- low grade depression. Yeah. But okay. like, it's still, I still really enjoy the show, even through those lenses. <laughs> Cameron, I have one other finale that I don't know if it's hold up because it's it's been maybe two decades since I watched it. But at the time, at the time, I thought this I, is let me stop you right TV there. Gets. Fresh Prince. Yes. Yeah. And that is when, when Will what, Smith what is, in the, is in the living room. Okay, the, wait, real quick. They do, when him and Carlton do the Tom Jones dance one last time, oh. it's not unusual. It, it, that's a special moment. But then the last scene where he's like in the empty living room, oh. man, I, again, I don't know if it holds up, but no, at the time I was like, dude, I'll tell this you this. Is, this is it perfect. holds up. I saw it six months ago. I mean, really? all the feelings still. I did you seek it out or did you stumble on it? I stumbled on it. I stumbled on it. Wow. And so like, the, like I just saw it watch all the way through, you know, you're, you're just, what's so great about that moment, the very end, the last minute of the show is like, they've culminated all the feel good, you know, the, you need the nostalgia, you need the parental thing, you need the touching moment. And then it, then it's like, you think it's over. And then there's the comedy's <laughs> zip at the end. And it, it needed that levity, you know, it's like yeah. on third, it's on 30 rock last night when, uh, when, uh, they redid the night court finale because Kenneth, oh, couldn't, that's great. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> Kenneth really missed the 10th. They wanted to, they wanted him to get married. And so they redid the finale in the studio and it was absolutely awful. It was really perfect. There you go. All right. What do you have, Eddie? Uh, well, before we start, I'd like to just take a second by myself to just prep for this. So if everybody could just not interrupt me, um, Eddie, you are going to do a great job on this slice. Uh, Jesse's going to interrupt you and he's going to go off on a rant. Uh, the other guys aren't going to talk that much, we'll but, I, Jesse on but I am proud of you <laughs> and I'm proud of what you bring to the show. A new study shows that talking to yourself doesn't mean you're crazy. In fact, the habit may prove your brilliance. That is a takeaway from a new study that was done that involved two separate experiments. In the first, uh, researchers at Michigan State University and the University of Michigan finally joining forces, not just opponents on the football field, but together they are doing this study and they monitored the what brain. A, what a moment. <laughs> <laughs> they just, it's weird that's something that you would harp on. Like, <laughs> well, I just can't. It's like America coming together, like Michigan and Michigan State, rivals on the gridiron, together about a study about talking to yourself. We Hey, the America healing is possible. (laughs) (laughs) So they were asked, uh, they asked these students basically to look at and respond to disturbing images. And they asked them to uh, use an internal monologue, one that was in first person and one that was in third person. So they were saying that people who responded in first person, like I'm, I feel scared. I feel upset. Like using I feel statement in first person uh, did not decrease their overall fear level by a noticeable amount. But people who spoke to themselves in third person, Eddie, it's going to be okay. Eddie, you're going to be fine. Decrease their fear by sometimes as much as half. So all of a sudden, just speaking to yourself in third person decreased your entire fear and anxiety. You could have just gone to Halloween Horror Nights and learned this. <laughs> I mean, you're walking through the haunted house with people. You're going, Jill, don't you dare look over to your left. Jill, don't. That is not real. Jill, that is not real at all. Don't even think. I mean, you hear that all the time. <laughs> right. But, 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 but you're saying that is more effective than like the Stuart Smalley method of like I am good I enough am I'm smart. Yeah. Yeah. right and so for so long right counselors talking to kids everybody has said like using positive self-talk and we've always said that the positive self-talk is 
I'm doing a good job. I'm I'm working hard. I'm smart enough. I right. People like me speaking in first person, but they're actually saying that if you can force your internal monologue to third person, it will be dramatically more helpful in both getting you pumped up and excited about stuff and also kind of keeping you from being scared or fearful and intimidated. So so before the opening game of the next NBA season, Cameron. This is going to be an awesome season for the Magic. Cameron, you're going to have a great time. Cameron, right. you are not going to yell at rough sisters. Right. Cameron, you are going to have, you're going to be encouraging. You're going to enjoy yourself and be just right. nice. But it is kind yes. of like metacognitive. It pulls you outside of your thinking and it allows you to sort of put some distance between. It's almost like a coach, a life coach yeah. talking it's, to you. It yeah. gives you psychological distance between the Should feeling. Should you be looking in the mirror? Yeah. Because that's what I do. Sebastian, you're not going to botch another closing. <laughs> you're not going to be investigated you're not for not botching another yeah. closing. Yeah. The, 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 you're not going to be investigated for mortgage fraud because you're yeah. using a fake name, Sebastian. <laughs> Everything's going to be okay. Yeah. The moral of this story is keep the keep the positive self-talk going, right? Tell yourself you're going to do okay, but switch it to third person and it'll actually be helpful. Eddie, great slice. Super proud of you, man. <laughs> well, there Out. you go. That'll do it for slices. Stay tuned. Up next, Jen Hatmaker joins us. Two Crooked Colors. The song is Flow. This week's feature interview is brought to you by Blue Apron. Blue Apron is the number one fresh ingredient and recipe delivery service in the country. For less than $10 a meal, they deliver seasonal recipes along with pre-proportioned ingredients right to your door. And Blue Apron is completely flexible, so you can customize your recipes each week and choose a delivery option that fits your needs. And Blue Apron's freshness guarantee promises that every ingredient arrives ready to cook or they'll make it right. Hey, featured meals coming up this month right now for Blue Apron. Uh, some of the meals available in August include... Say this slowly. Basil pesto chicken <laughs> with summer vegetable panzanella. I don't, I don't know. That, that's Sautéed shrimp and green beans with globe tomatoes, spinach, and orzo pasta. Ooh, that's really mm. good. Whole grain pasta and summer vegetables with heirloom tomato ch- uh, caprese salad. Miso butter salmon, miso butter salmon and lo mein noodles with cucumber and charmed tomatoes. I didn't even know there was a charmed tomato. You're talking Me- sea bass's language right now. <laughs> Meatball pizza with fresh mozzarella cheese and charmed tomatoes as well. There you go. You know what I'm always impressed with? The fact that like if I tried to bring home an heirloom tomato from the store, yeah. there is a probably a 30% chance that it will get crushed or mangled by the time it gets to my house. What are you doing to your grocery bags? Running over them with the car. Okay. Uh, But (laughs) the fact that they're they're able to bring all of this, like, it's just perfect and beautiful. Yeah. They're really clever. Uh, Check out this week's menu and get your first three meals for free with free shipping by going to blueapron.com slash relevant. Uh, you'll love how good it feels and tastes to create incredible home-cooked meals with Blue Apron, so don't wait. That's blueapron.com slash relevant. Blue Apron, a better way to cook. Jen Hatmaker is an author and speaker whose latest book, Of Mess and Moxie, explores how to find joy and purpose even in seasons of pain and challenges. Can I tell you something about Jen Hatmaker? I am like not typically in her readership listening demographic. I love her. I love her books. I love her podcast. You know what like, I like? I like her moxie. 
her, her, her mess, mess is okay. Yeah, her mess is all right. I like her moxie. She is yeah. real deep. Yeah, I, I am she always. Really I, I didn't expect her not to be, but I, I just am. I, your the, favorite page in the next issue of Relevant will probably be hers. I'm telling you, yeah. it's a really good piece. Undoubtedly. And you know, it's interesting because like with some bands, they had one album in them and they just kind of never really figured out album two through five. Right. She just keeps writing stuff that is, she is pulling from a deep well and she's got a cool family. I like her. I'm glad she's on the show. We recently talked with Jen about the book, why she decided to write about difficult issues and how everyone can benefit from going through trials. Here is Jen Hatmaker. What do you think in terms of people seeing who you really are, um, seeing the mess to use the term words that, uh, that you use in the title of the book, um, what's the right way to go about that? Because you don't want to stress people out by, uh, by just being a jerk all the time because this is just who I really am. I'm not a nice person, but also you don't want to be right. fake. And so what, is there a balance there or is there a principle there that people can use? I think authenticity online certainly can swing sort of from one extreme to the other and neither are actually any good. There's this, this fake authenticity that it's like low hanging fruit. You know, anybody can post um, a messy picture or something that's really low in cost. Like, oh, I'm just a real person, which is all true. We are, everybody's a real person. So it's not like that's a lie, but there's a brand of that type of transparency um, that has some real like quick rewards, but it doesn't cost you anything. Uh, You can still, behind that barrier, you can still hide everything substantial, everything that's meaningful, anything that is sincerely um, genuine about your life. And then like you just mentioned, you could swing the other way where it's just too much on display. There is no filter. There's nothing held back. There is absolutely nothing off the table of public consumption. And that's just as not only unhealthy, but exhausting um, to have to digest from somebody all the time. So I think there's something in the middle um, that feels right to me where where your authenticity is going to cost you something because it means at least in certain areas where it's wise and where it's prudent, you are going to peel back the curtain a little bit and reveal something hard, um, something that involves struggle or loss or failure. You know, that's not a thing we generally like to share um, or disappointment and, and put that out there. And, and that's risky. It is. It's risky and you don't know specifically what the response to that will be. And so but my experience with that brand um, of authenticity where, um, where, where it matters, um, I have found that in general, it draws people in far more than it pushes people away because uh, it sort of creates the space for other people to say, oh, me too. Yeah, me too. I, I've done that. I've, I've struggled with that. I failed in the same way. Um, and it, it's good. I think that's good for the community to neither chase the lie of um, sort of a fake happy life where nothing really has any cost or the opposite where everything is a disaster. Every day is a mess. Um, everything is in the weeds. And so something in the middle is somewhere where I think it's more true. 
Have you ever in your writing or a social media presence had a, a thought or something you wanted to share and felt like, oh, maybe that's a little too much. Maybe that's more than than my readers need to know or be brought into. Definitely. And, and I pay attention to that sort of check of the spirit and try to get down to the root of it to to see what's there. Because sometimes I think there's real caution um, in that this would be the definition of oversharing. Either it infringes on somebody else's privacy or on their story and it's not mine to tell, um, or it's just simply too much to invite hundreds of thousands of strangers into for their comment and critique. Um, you know, not everything is up for public consumption, um, but sometimes there's there's something um, on the on the table of consideration, and I have a check, and I'll pull that up the root of it, and it is simply that I um, I want people to think better of me than this will allow, right? Like this is actually a true thing, and it would probably benefit my readers, it would benefit my community. Um, this would this would be a vulnerable space to share um, with with positive potential results, but I don't want to risk um, looking a certain way. And so, so those I'm sometimes able to power through and say, I'm just going to go ahead and put this out there and let the chips fall where they may. And 99 times out of 100, I don't regret it. Um, that that becomes sort of this center point of a really important discussion that we can then have together as an online community where, um, okay, listen, this is a no crap conversation. This, I put this real thing out into the middle of us all and let's really talk about what this looks like in our lives. And so, um, uh, I try, I try to heed discernment on which is which. Back to the book, to A Mess and Moxie. Between you starting to set out and, and just write the book and get it all on paper to the time when you're done, how different is the finished product from your uh, original sort of vision of it? And, uh, and did you have any revelations about some of the things you talk about along the way that surprised you? Yeah, uh, it's interesting with, with Moxie because I had a lot of ideas in a bucket that I'd been saving and hoarding and filing away and and putting ideas under just as sort of the, the skeleton starts to take shape. But there's this quote by Henry Nowen that I love. I actually keep it on my desk. And he said, I do not yet know what I carry in my heart, but I trust it will emerge as I write. And I have found that to be really true in my experience as a writer, that even going into a project like Boxy that had a pretty decent structure already built in, I, it, the outline was pretty complete. A lot of the ideas were already largely fleshed out before I ever actually started the writing process. There is an element of mystery in every writing project where sometimes just the process of writing uh, leads my thoughts and my heart and my soul into territory that I didn't plan for, that I wasn't expecting to remember that, or I wasn't expecting to observe that or learn it or, or come to that conclusion or share it even. But it's almost like how sometimes fiction writers talk about how their their characters write their own stories almost without their permission. I feel that sometimes even as a nonfiction writer, that sometimes the stories and the truths and the ideas begging to be brought forth are just going to write themselves 
with or without my permission. And so in every book I've ever written, there are passages, paragraphs, sometimes entire chapters that I did not expect to write, but it emerged as I went and I'm always glad for it. Is there a part of the book that you're uh, just particularly proud of that you feel like just came together a little bit cleaner or more or more inspirationally or better than the rest of it? The last essay in Moxie, it's called Rewoven. And I didn't exactly expect to write it the way it came out, but I'm, I'm so glad that I did and I'm so glad it's there and I put it last for a reason. And so in it, uh, we talk, I talked a little bit more about our own personal suffering, more than I'm comfortable doing, honestly, um, in general. And so it talks about some suffering in our own family. And then I dove into a subject that is thorny for me. It's always been sticky. And I have found its discussion in Christian subcultures to feel trite and very um, pre-packaged and shrink-wrapped in a way that made sense to me. And that's just this whole idea of God's sovereignty and how in the world He is redeeming humanity and why does He move when He does and why does He stay His hand when He does and what role does prayer have in it? You know, when you've got two faithful people who pray with equal confidence and expectation and He moves in one and not in the other. You know, this has always been really thorny for me and um, and I've struggled with the the packaged, canned explanation of it that I've typically received from my Christian community. And so my mature tactic thus far has been, I'm just not going to talk about that. I'm going to avoid it. And we're just going to talk about Southern football instead. Um, but in this case, in this, in this essay, it wanted to be written. And so it was one of those things that trotted on ahead of me and begged to be brought forth. And so I really walked through it, what I felt like was a bit of a vulnerable discussion of my struggle with the concept, um, what I am prepared to say I think I understand and what I'm prepared to say I will never understand. And in fact, I even mentioned in that chapter that my fear in writing it was being placed outside the camp for even asking the questions. But I, re I remembered what um, Bob Goff said one time where he said, uh, there, there are no camps. We have nothing to join except Jesus. And so I thought, okay, I'm going to put this. Well, I don't know what people are going to think of it. Um, you know, if you want a really clean answer on God's sovereignty, just skip that last chapter. <laughs> <laughs> You're uh You've done a fair amount of writing that has that has rankled some people, so especially sort of the old yeah. establishment guard. You've received a lot of uh, critiques of that online. Some of it, hopefully, sort of constructive and offered grace graciously. Uh, some of it, obviously, yeah. less so. Have you found a good way of sort of dealing with uh, or, or managing the haters uh -huh. in your day to day uh -huh. existence? Yes. <laughs> What's funny is when I um, started my career as a writer years and years ago. I probably had some of the thinnest skin you have ever seen in your life. Just I'm a lifelong chronic people pleaser. Human approval has always 
very disproportionately mattered to me in a very unhealthy way. I absolutely could not get out of bed if I had any sort of conflict going in my life or tension or disagreement. I mean, that would just send me to the fainting couch. And so it's hilarious for me to even remember that because now that's my daily bread. And so um, God has done a real work in me, growing me up into this space to be the sort of leader who does not melt on a warm day. And so uh, I handle online criticism in a handful of ways. Number one, no matter what it is, because right when I first receive it, it does not matter if it is said incredibly generously or graciously or, you know, in, in in a measured tone or if it is just troll alert. At first to me, it all sounds the same. Um, I, I, I burn hot. I'm just a, I'm a, I'm a fiery personality and I don't have an, I don't have a neutral gear. It's just not my, I'm just not created that way. And so at first, everything sounds like garbage dumpster fire to me. And I, I'm an overreactor and I want to lash out. So my hard and fast rule, and I've said this for years, is no matter, no matter what it is, I'm going to give it 24 hours. I will not respond. I'm not going to jump back. I'm not going to kick back. I'm not going to lash back. I'm not going to be passive aggressive because that's always, I could do that too. I'm, I'm just going to, I'm going to sleep on it. I'm going to set it down. I'm going to take a walk around the block. I'm, I'm going to just let it simmer. Every single time it feels different the next day. When I can wake up the next day and the shock or the hurt feelings or the rage has receded, I can see it way more clearly. And so at that point, I can usually suss this out. Either this is this is trolling and not useful, not purposeful, not constructive, and I'm going to absolutely put it in the trash can and shut the lid, or there's something here. There's something here to listen to. Um, there's something here to learn. There's something I need to apologize for or clarify or explain or even just engage in dialogue. Um, and I can usually tell which is which by the next day. And so those are my rules and they've served me well. Primarily, I've learned that through failure. I've learned that through coming out swinging. I've learned that through coming back in like a wrecking ball. And you know, that basically works never, <laughs> absolutely never. And I create a worse mess than I had before. So I think I'm getting better, better at that and knowing when is a worthy moment to engage and, and to learn and to shift and to change and when just to drop it like it's hot. For people who uh, people who are coming to the book, who, who are interested in buying it, what would you say is the is something you want them to leave reflecting on? Not, not the whole point of the book, but what are you hoping this inspires people who read your book to, to think about uh, and meditate on? I have the word that they walk away with is the second word in the title, which is moxie. Um, the second key word in the title. Uh, and that idea, of, that word is old fashioned and, you know, it, it pulls forth all these images of um, grit and sort of courage and pluck. And, and that is, that's primarily what I see in my generation. And so even though there is a lot in the book that deals with mess, um, also in the title, um, and, you know, mess is a fill in the blank term it, that includes the things that we all endure suffering and pain and grief and failure and loss um that this idea that as believers we are just simply seated with 
a spirit of overcoming. It's, it, is, it is in our namesake that we are resilient and that sort of under God's care and in, in His space, we are absolutely capable of healing, of rising back up, of finishing strong, of learning and growing and developing. I mean, that is how, that is what we get. That is part and parcel um, of being ever made into the image of Jesus. And so what I hope that readers will walk away from is that reminder that no matter where they're at right now, no matter what's happening, what they've suffered through or what they're suffering through currently, that they have the spiritual tools that they need because we just serve a God who will not be shaken. And so anyway, that if they walk away feeling empowered and encouraged and even hopefully entertained, because, you know, there's lots of funny in there, too, I will consider my mission accomplished. That was Jen Hatmaker. Make sure to get her new book of Mess and Moxie. Stay tuned. Up next, Words Played. Listening to Lisbon, the song is Tyler. How appropriate. Rapper Words Played has teamed up with Andy Minio for a brand new mixtape that drops today, August 4th, uh, called Magic and Bird. It was inspired by 90s nostalgia and, of course, the old school NBA rivalry. We recently had Words Played walk through some of the tracks on the mixtape and, of course, got his thoughts about other great 90s basketball duos featured on NBA Jam. Here is Words Played. Well, before we jump into the songs, tell me it's it's a concept album in a way. Why did you guys want to do uh, Magic and Burr as as the theme for the mixtape? Well, one reason, the, the, one of the main reasons is because um, right now uh, my career is really like still very much on the launch pad, getting ready to take off. You know, um, like filled out, filled up and ready to go. And Andy was at a point, you know, he's been working on his album for about 10 or 11 months now. And uh, he was, he's been so like in the midst of that. We got off tour and kind of, he rolled him like into that immediately. Um, so he needed really like those, uh, those creative fame, Flames fans, you know, both huge sports fans, fans of basketball. Um, you know, obviously fans of hip hop. So we were like, yo, let's let's invite people into our relationship really um and do it in a fun way. So Magic and Bird was a was like a really natural, organic thing that uh, that came from that idea. You you mentioned you and Andy are both big sports fans. what what, what was your NBA team growing up? 
Me, um, much to my chagrin, the New York Knickerbockers Uh-oh. is my favorite team. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm a huge Knicks fan. I've been a Knicks fan. I've cried. I've screamed at the TV uh, my entire life. Uh, still love my Knicks. Um, and Andy's a huge Utah Jazz fan. He'll tell you, like, Johnny, uh, you know, John Stockton is his favorite player. Yeah. Um, but for me, the Knicks, Allen Houston, my favorite player growing up. I'm still my favorite player of all time. I don't like Michael Jordan. I don't like Reggie Miller. I don't like Hakeem Olajuwon. Like, I'll be the first to say it because uh, they have robbed me of many a nights as a child. <laughs> I love it that all the players that you were naming are players from what I consider like the glory day, the glory days right. of like the modern NBA, which is the same time, yeah, you yeah. know, the Magic Bird, you know, just, you know, maybe just a shade after that, but like the NBA GM yeah, yeah. era of the NBA. Yeah, the Magic and Bird thing is like, you know, when you when you look at that, the you know, they what they've done now is folklore, you know, it's so much bigger than what they did on the court. You know, it's the story of like two like great um you know, doing something so good for sports, but not just sports, but for culture, you know, whether it's the commercials, like, or the Converse weapons, you know, the, sh- the shoes, the branding, um, and then, you know, now they're really good friends. So um, people love that story. And I don't even know if it's just for what they did on the court anymore. Nate told me that's H-Town, but I'm Bayheim when it's game time. That's a left, but I never laid down, uh. You ain't even pray for the dinner. How you got the praying hands on the ground for the picture? Shots on Twitter, they ain't nothing but net. Man, we already won. We'll kill God. That sense of wit and personality definitely comes out on, uh, you know, especially these early singles that you guys have dropped. Maybe you, you can walk our, our listeners through a couple. Let's start with, with, with Kids, which is uh, the second track of yeah. the album. T- tell me a little bit about creatively, like, what it went into that song and what was the inspiration for the verses? Yeah, man. Um, funny story about that, you know. Andy's um, Andy's so much more of like a deep diver when it comes to um, lyricism and content than I am. And, you know, I'm, I all own that. Like, I salute him in that, man. Like, but beam beam who you know essentially served as you know the co-executive producer for the album um, we were in the studio like first session we were in atlanta we're down in atlanta we're diving into the tape and uh Andy's like bouncing some ideas for for the record and Beam, you know, Beam is like 19, 20, like super young. He's the youth right now. Like he has the sauce and he was just like, yo, man, like, yo, don't, don't give me a contemplate through a deep record. Yo, do something for the kids. And then Andy was like, that's what this record's going to be called, kids. And then after this, like, yo, I do it for the kids. And it just took off. I'm in the pocket like bread. Magic and burn like the 80s. Starting, but don't try and play. Then I went go suck up sways. Two tone in the Patagon, that's beach and navy. Hassle hall from the slow mode, I sex you wavy. 
And I risk, risk, risk I know there's opposition, but it's switch, switch, switch I know you seen them do it, but not like this Money make you war it break you Take the game before it take you lo-fi the, the cool thing is like that It does feel like a real free album Like you can tell you guys were, were loose In a good way, like creatively That, oh, that yeah. um and, and I think the the song that you know I've seen get shared around a lot too is uh, Dunk Contest, which maybe right, right. you know if kids is kind of like breaking the ice a little bit, kind of setting the tone. I feel like you dive right yeah. in with Dunk Contest. Can you talk a little bit about that song? Yeah, man. Um, you know Andy from the jump, he was like, "Yo, we gotta have like, uh, you know, with the Magic and Bird theme, with the sports theme, with the basketball theme, like Andy was like, "Yo, let's do a record, like let's." Like, I want to compete with you. Like, let's let's have a song called Dunk Contest. One day we're just in the studio and we're just going through a B folder. And like that, that record came on and like right off the jump, we knew like this was a, this was just a hard hitting, like dark trap. Like it comes on and we're like, yo, this is the one. Um, <laughs> and like, I just, like, I just shouted out 360 in the contract. Never, like, just, just naturally, like, it just, it just came to my mind. And, like, the, throughout recording it, it was just, like, back and forth, push the temple, push the temple, push the temple. Like, like an actual dunk contest. We wanted to, you know, to give people that, that feel and that experience of when you're watching a dunk contest and you're on the edge of your seat, like, and you're jumping up and screaming, and then you're like, I don't even know if I could sit back down. And like, uh, it's cool watching people appreciate like the back and forth dynamic in hip hop because, you know, it's something people used to do. Like we saw growing up, like Jay and Memphis Bleak or, you know, Styles P and Jada Kiss. Like that's a, that's a, like a, a, a pillar in hip hop, like a, you know, the underappreciated thing, I think. So getting to do that and see people respond um, is really cool. Tell me, tell me a little bit about the track Judo, uh, because uh, speaking of back and forth and, you know, these alternating uh, verses and stuff, tell yeah. me uh, a little bit of what, what went into that uh, particular track. Yeah, um, Judo was dope. Uh, Gavi produced it, did a phenomenal job. It was funny, like randomly, um, Andy was like, hey, let's have a bass-driven record for this tape. I just want bass. I want bass, like cranked up you know pushing the tempo on this re- on a record and, and Gavi was like I got you you know the studio we were in had like four rooms in it four rooms to record and produce and so Gavi like disappears into a room and he's in there for like eight hours um and then he comes back in like at three in the morning he's like I got something so we go in the room and Gavi like <laughs> shuts the lights off in the studio and turns on these strobe lights, like these neon strobe lights. He's like, this is the only way to play this record. Um, I think judo is one of the, it's one of like the more higher, like like a caviar almost, you know, like a very distinct taste um, that's on the album. I'm first, I'm last, it's St. John at Mass, my neck, my back, I put pre 
something on that My wrist, that wrist, let's make something compact My tape, my tape, let's turn that to a plaque My babe, that babe, I'm going ape on this track My wave, my wave, you can't surf on that Behave, behave, boy don't you know you black Okay, I will, when white G's come back Alright that was words played. Check out uh, Magic and Bird. This is a mixtape with Andy Minio. All right, stay tuned. Up next, your feedback. So I guess your size said enough Oh, these words No, they can't express pain It's like my life had enough There's no words that I've learned Oh, and these are just words And they can't express pain You're listening to Everything these is Recorded The song is Close But Not Quite Okay, it's time for your feedback. Last week, we asked you for content ideas for Jesse's new, I say <laughs> that's in air quotes, new prank call podcast. It's not new, it's old. It's been around for a long time and you could be next. It's probably important to know that relevant, and I, I, speak on be, I think I can speak on behalf of yes, the company. Of course, always. Does not endorse this and will not produce this <laughs> or acknowledge this. And should Jesse engage in such behavior, we'll distance ourselves from his brand. Legally. Yeah. yeah. Okay, <laughs> so fine. anyhow, continuing with the feedback. You guys hit us up on Twitter at Relevant Podcast. You also posted some, uh, <laughs> some ideas on the podcast episode page at RelevantMagazine.com. Here's a few of our favorites. Well, okay, I got this one's from Spencer Ray, and I like where his head is at, but I, there's a serious flaw in his concept. Uh, the target is some random Papa John's location. The concept to be to pretend to be Papa John himself and start pitching new pizza ideas, all while slowly escalating in volume. And by the end of the call, you've adopted a full Italian accent. My only problem there, Spencer Ray, is everyone knows who Papa John is, and he does not have an Italian accent. Like I don't know <laughs> that me doing an Italian accent if i'm in purpose if i'm impersonating papa john he's gonna help matter so i think it's just gonna make things a lot weirder yeah you just need to be like chef boy rd or something you know. <laughs> exactly <laughs> like like someone that they don't know like i see papa john on tv uh, you know uh, hanging out with peyton manning like every day so i don't think the uh, italian accent will work there yeah chef boy rd absolutely would though or uh like isn't there uh no i guess that's newman's own i'm thinking of like a parmesan that has like a like a jovial looking dom DeLuise type on it like something <laughs> yeah, like yeah, that yeah. would work yeah i know he uh, he does well, other seasonings as well i have them Eric's Odom said, it is my understanding that most telemarketers are not allowed to terminate a call. Jesse should take full advantage of this by answering spam calls and then keeping the caller on the line as long as possible. The time could be spent trying to work out ridiculous barters for the products they are selling, pitching screenplay ideas, or simply asking, if you were to die tonight, where would you spend eternity? Wait, so telemarketers can't terminate calls? No, they they don't hang up. Well, what? I mean, just I mean, it's not like a law. But yeah, it's yeah. Like part of their training is if they're hey, on the line, trust you me, keep going. You can get them to hang up. <laughs> <laughs> That's the name of the show. Yeah. Get them to hang up. Oh man. 
uh, uh, I'm not okay. kind of into, uh, I, I don't know, just you to tell me. I'm into Oliver Parsons' idea about uh, calling about calling Kevin Mack, pretending to be Toby Mack, and trying to get a DC talk reunion going. But Jesse, how's your Toby Mack? Hey, you skipped a part. You skipped a part of that, Tyler, and it hurts my feelings. Eddie, Eddie, you can get Kevin. Ma- Kevin Max's phone number is out there for anybody who wants to find it. It's very- <laughs> <laughs> Oliver Parsons wrote, "Jesse, please get Kevin Max's phone number from Eddie and pretend to be Toby calling about a potential reunion tour." I'm just going to say there. Is I a- have his number too. Yeah, but I also have it. I also, ha- I also have his number. Okay, but Jesse's I have it too. Have it. What I'm saying is that I have. <laughs> it. But but I feel like I feel like hey, I'll be like hey, Kevin, it's Toby, man. I good seeing you on the cruise, brother. And he's like, "Why are you calling me?" from a block number and why does this not sound like you don't worry about it i got a burner yeah hey to, yeah i i this <laughs> one's gonna be hard to pull off because they were just hanging out on the cruise and i'm pretty sure his number is saved in kevin's phone i'm calling from a payphone. don't worry about why in a little bit of a jam here anywho <laughs> i gotta tell you they sounded good on the cr- cruise i saw some footage of it they sounded great voices are great i have a feeling they're not gonna re- reunite Really? Yeah, I think Why? that was it. The chemistry wasn't there? No, I thought it was great. I just don't like, and the people were there, the crowds were there. It all seemed, all of the factors seemed there. And mm-hmm. then all the factors that were there years ago seemed there. Like mm-hmm. they've still got it. Something in my gut tells me it's not going to happen. Eddie texted Cameron and I uh, last week and Andy sent Barron us some texted hot- it to us. Yes. Did you not get it from oh, Andy? It was- I it got was it from, Andy. I got it yeah, from it Andy, Andy, and then Eddie sent what Andy sent him. Like yeah. Andy sent it all us, oh, yeah. and then Eddie was like, "Make sure you see this." Yeah, it's unbelievable. Yeah, yeah. It was the he, cr- go, go, Jesse. No, no, no. You, you, you give it context. It well, because you know I'm just going to be the jerk about it. So there was somebody who was part of the tour who did sort of like a man on the street hype video, and it's like the the it was like the loops that play in the cruise ship of people being interviewed. I don't know how to process it other Why? than to say it was an interesting group of people. No, uh, the people were fine. <laughs> it was the level of enthusiasm yeah, that was yeah. unsettling. Yeah. I mean, it, it was YouTube? awful. I think we'll just say that it was, it was really something it, to watch and it was it, an hour and a half and I'm embarrassed. What? Oh, because it was like a loop of just like the guy interviewing people and being like zany man on the streety, but like was, John Christ. Except John is legitimately incredibly funny. This was a little and, bit, and, and, and but imagine no degree of self awareness. Christian either. Radio Morning Show. Okay, uh, he probably was a famous Christian Radio Morning Show person, and he's yeah. very talented at what he does. And if he's listening, you did your job well. But it was just so much of it. It was an hour and a half, <laughs> well, and many, well, it, many versions of it. And yeah. I don't think they were allowed to use DC Talk music in it. So they used my favorite part was that they had to use like a. Just uh, like standard music that sounded DC talkish, but it still wasn't them. It was a. Uh it was just an awful thing. I, the the issue say. was like if you were doing like a five minute highlight reel of people like getting on the boat, like a montage of people like jumping at a concert and a couple of questions. Oh, I had the time of my life. It works when you're getting deep into these people's backstories yes. about the first time they heard DC talk, why they decided to spend thousands of dollars to go on a cruise. It just gets a little, a little creepy. Oh, like I don't need to know all. Wasn't of there this. a wedding? It, it, what's what? that? Wasn't there a wedding on the cruise? Oh, really? <laughs> Kind of, yeah, it's all a thing. Wow. Yeah, I just there's a lot to, like a themed wedding. There's a lot to unpack there. The, what theme was it? <laughs> it was like they're in the band. I believe it was. Oh, I sadness. I think Toby performed the ceremony, oh, didn't he? No, I don't know. No, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> like that would have been amazing. <laughs> I was about to say. 
Oh man! Hey, hey, Eddie, you have one. Uh, you have one person that agrees with you that says that we all need to be consuming more uh, honey. That and he's appalled by the level of air, uh, ignorance of the bee world. Uh, evidently, people, the beekeepers that are listening, are pretty uh, upset about how badly <laughs> we maligned your hobby. So I get like a, a little smidgen of like feedback, funny yeah. quote, or something every week. Apparently, we really hit a nerve with the bee thing. Well, a lot of stingers do. Nailed it. Oh, <laughs> my gosh. Nailed it's done. It. It's done. Right. That's it. That was the it's end of stung. it. Yeah. It's stung. Okay. You, you just doubled up on it. There's nothing else to say. You did a great job. No, that, that, that's, I, I agree with you. The people calling out our rampant ignorance this week about bees, as though we should be educated about bees. And what did we say that was ignorant? Well, that's my we thing. We don't know. Well, everything I said was well informed. I talked yeah. about because I, I, I re listened to the show and I didn't say one thing ignorant. I said, that it seems like a lame hobby because you got to have the suit and the and the smoke gun and it costs a lot of money right. and honey is super cheap at the store. That's that's literally the extent yeah, of yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. I I think that I think that people. I, yeah, I I'm always shocked because we'll say things that are really really yeah. really messed up. Yeah, and you no say one says a word. Not a word. Right. We'll have a guest on that just really has said some interesting things in the not a word. Yeah. You guys don't understand why I would want to keep bees, which, in fairness to you all, they do sting and hurt people all the time. It just seems and like work. And You're honey just adding is, chores and to honey your is, And honey is pretty cheap. It really doesn't make a ton of sense. You guys brought up a legitimate point. It was very strong. I am always <laughs> shocked at what people will get on. Yeah. Like, Either way, I wish you guys weren't so ignorant about bees. Keep the feedback coming. <laughs> yeah. Hey, if you want to go check out the prank ideas, there's a lot more uh, over on the uh, episode page. Okay, it's time for this week's editorial question of the week. Well, earlier in the show, we got talking about resumes, job applications, and our feelings about overused tactics. Things that are just like yawn your fig- your your face on the top left corner with a little bio. We've all been there, done that. Yeah, move on. We know your first job was Chick Fil A, right? We know. Yeah, no <laughs> so, one cares. So we want to we want to know your creative ideas to make your resume stand out. How oh, look at this? You volunteered at the church nursery for a year. <laughs> yeah. us the goods. What yeah. would what could you add to make your resume pop? Uh, J- Jesse brought up a few ideas. I told you I got the guy with the pizzas. Um, you know, there's some other things that, yeah. that that people have tried over the years. I'm curious to know what you think would be effective tactics to make resumes pop. Can I give one something they should add? Please. Uh, writing experience and college. <laughs> so. Imagine that completing a four year degree. How novel in this day and yeah, age. Like that's why jobs are hard. Uh, because you got to do something. I'm just saying, be an adult. So, so if you, uh, if you, if you have ideas of uh, creative ways that people should that people should use to make their resumes pop uh, and stand out, hit us up on Twitter at Relevant Podcast, or you can post your ideas on the podcast episode page at RelevantMagazine.com. Hey, many thanks to this show's sponsors for making the episode possible. Remember, you can head over to squarespace.com to start your free trial today and then enter offer code relevant to get 10% off your first purchase. Also, thanks to Blue Apron. Check out this week's menu and get your first three meals for free with free shipping by going to blueapron.com slash relevant. Uh, thanks to our guests, uh, Jen Hatmaker. Make sure to get her new book of Mess and Moxie. It releases August 6th. You can follow her on Twitter at Jen Hatmaker. And also to Words Played, uh, his new mixtape with Andy Minio, Magic and Bird, is out today. Check him out on Twitter at Words Played. 
Hey, if you're in Chicago right now while you're listening to this and it's still the weekend, hit us up. Uh, we're going to be wandering around and uh, you meet Sebastian. It'll be a lot of fun for you. Yeah, if he's, he's going he's gonna to be on and off. He'll yeah. make some appearances, though. That's for sure. Yeah, yeah. If you see Jesse and he's not blinking and he's got a little tiny mustache, walk away. Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm telling you, you're entering into a world of pain. There you go. All right, on that note, we'll wrap it up. I'm Cameron Strang. I was Eddie's Cuffold. I'm Chandler Strang. Tyler Huckabee. I'm Jesse Carey. <laughs> we'll see you guys next week. Thank you for listening to The Relevant Podcast. If you like what you heard, be sure to leave us a review on iTunes. Check out other shows from The Relevant Podcast Network in the podcast section at relevantmagazine.com. And while you're there, browse exclusive podcast merchandise at our online store. Make sure to subscribe to Relevant Magazine. Info is available at relevantmagazine.com forward slash subscribe. You're talking Seabass's language right now. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co.